Welcome everybody to the Uncensored CMO and in this episode I have got someone that most definitely lives up to the billing of Uncensored. Steve Harrison is author of a new book, in fact a revised book that is out today on 16th of July called Can't Sell, Won't Sell. Now let me read you some of the endorsements he's had for this book. So Paul Burke says, these new chapters are the most important things to be written about the advertising industry for many years. Dave Dye says the ad industry's last chance to stop sleepwalking into obsolescence. Vicky Ross, I learned more in these new chapters than I have from reading the trade press for the last 12 months. And finally, Bob Hoffman, if like me you prefer sales to sanctimony, have a look at Can't Sell, Won't Sell. Steve Harrison takes no prisoners on his assault on brand purpose and other smug political obsessions of our industry. Very, very well put. And if you listen to my podcast before, you know how passionate I am about making work that works. And what Steve does is bring to our attention how we have been distracted from commercial purpose to social purpose in the last few years and how every industry, trade press, award ceremony is all dedicated to celebrating social purpose rather than commercial success. Which if, like me, you're a CMO or have been a CMO before or worked in marketing, you'll know you don't get very far without delivering tangible results. So I was delighted to catch up with Steve Harrison and find out the man behind the book and uh, why he's got such strong opinions on this. So welcome, Steve Harrison. Oh, thank you, John. Thank you. Nice to speak to you again. I know, I know. It's good. We yeah. should stop meeting like this, shouldn't we? Well, anyway. we, because, the, because the situation is changing so rapidly, I think this is our third attempt it's quite funny, actually, because uh, I, I, uh, Orlando gave me a, a preview of your book. So I think you sent it to Orlando and said, yeah. I'll see what you think. And he, he was saying, oh, John, yeah, what, what, uh, what should I write on the back? Um, as a, I think because you, you'd asked him to put a review yes, together. I and, I, and, and I said, it's a great book, but please, whatever you do, don't leave it on your desk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that, was my, that was my advice to him. Anyway, but actually, l- listen, let's start with one of the quotes that uh, stood out to me when I read your book. And, and it, it uh, by the way, a really engaging and provocative. I'll use that word again mm-hmm. to talk about that, but a good, a good, a good useful provocation. Um, it's a little quote. I won't uh, say who uh, made the quote, but it said, it never occurred to me that the work should be effective. Um, was I, I thought a very telling quote uh, and, and I think that sums up I think a frustration that I have felt in my career often when I'm working with different creative agencies about how little time is spent actually talking about whether the work will work so t- tell me a bit about that but also why you've ended up writing this book in the first place. I think my interest in it was 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 first stimulated when Patrick Collister explained to me, gave me a statistic from his study of Cannes Lions in 2019, in which he said of the 28 Grand Prix winners at Cannes, um, I think it was only five of them had an increase in sales as an objective. Um, and I, I, you know, I thought, God, something's gone horribly wrong here. Um, I, and, and that's what tweaked my interest in it. And everything I've seen subsequently has, has, has reinforced the view that something has got, gone horribly wrong. If you look at Walk's top 12 advertising campaigns for 2020, you'll see that only six of them had the objective of getting somebody to get out their debit card and actually buy something. Uh, the other six were non-for-profit, social purpose, cause-related campaigns. And the influence of this is insidious because then you look at the, 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 the cream awards to the top 20 young creatives coming through the industry that year. And 17 of those of the top 20 award winning campaigns for the young creatives coming through were cause related social purpose campaigns. Mm. But there is nothing that ladders up towards what is the benefit of the product or service being being advertised here? And why would the prospect or customer want this in their lives? I mean, one question we've got to ask, of course, is, I mean, I, mean, I won a couple of can lines uh, in 2016 right. for a, a film we made on LucasAid actually with Anthony Joshua. Um, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful film actually. And, and uh, um, I think it was, uh, I got film craft and, and soundtrack maybe. I think they were the ones who were right. wonderful. Uh, and obviously, you know, can was recognizing the craft and the expertise in a particular category. So yeah. do you, are you, 
are you seeing something that has changed in can wars because i know yourself you've won quite a few in your career as well is, yeah so has it what was it like has it changed over time how does it compare to when you when you were winning awards well when i was winning awards the 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 most i mean most advertising did did proceed from a brand idea or a particular product or service proposition, which, as I say, spoke to how that product or service could improve the life of the person who used it. You know, kind of everything proceeded from that sense that the proper that the that the agency made a proposition, they had the creatives cr dramatized or demonstrated that proposition. And the and and it, and it was about the fundamental benefit of the product or service or the brand that was being promoted, and that is that the big can winners nowadays are are talking more about. I mean, more seem to seemingly more com, uh, uh, obsessed, uh, more concerned with the social benefit, with the way that this will affect change in society. Um, so that is a major difference, I think. Yeah. Um, and um, and can uh, the advertising awards have always been, you know, kind of for an industry that prides itself upon its maverick free thinking. Uh, awards have always held up a mirror to last year's awards, you know, kind of, uh, and and we are enthralled to fashion and fads. You know, kind of, but the fashion now is purpose, and people know that they, if they produce a, a work with a purpose-driven strategy, they have a much greater chance of winning an award than they do if it doesn't have a purpose-driven strategy. And this is this has been driven by, I mean, an example: um, Procter and Gamble put out a brief, apparently, which is the Cam brief, goes out in March with a sizable <laughs> budget. Um, and it goes out in March, and all of the agencies on the roster get it, and their job is to win a can lion. And it is a social purpose-driven brief. Mm. But it is so you're you are being rewarded by your by by your clients to drive this trend forward. And of course, this is a left-leaning progressive industry. And so I think this comes to my main point, and that is that doing social purpose advertising. It, it, it chimes with the ideological, the, the political standpoint of the people who are working in the industry. They don't have, you know, they, they'd much rather work on, on, on campaigns with this, with this focus than do any of that grubby selling stuff. Mm. It's interesting, actually, because I, I, what, what I've perceived, actually, in, in kind of my previous CMO roles is uh, social purpose was very often the PR department's responsibility. So let's make sure that as a business, we do mm. the right thing mm. and that we also seem to be doing the right thing. You know, part, part of it is about doing the right thing, but also making sure that we don't get, you know, don't, don't get it wrong in the public. Yeah. And then, and then the, you know, uh, uh, the marketing or the brand marketing responsibility was to sell more products. And, and at some point that flip that jumped the fence, <laughs> you know, at some point the, the corporate social responsibility jumped the fence into the brand marketing department. And then it was the brand marketing department's responsibility to then do CSR or I guess what, yeah. what we're calling social purpose, which I think that that's definitely, I think a shift that's happened in the, I think in the last four or five years, quite, quite dramatically, I've seen that change. I th yeah, I think that clients are encouraging it. Um, I think that agencies, it, it's the it's ideologically aligned with the way that, that with 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 the left leaning progressive politics of the agencies. It's also easier, frankly, it's easier because as one the 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 kind of advertising I was talking about before was when the planning department would come up with a proposition that required that that talked about a particular benefit or advantage that it was inherent in the product or service. And then it was the creative team's job to come up with a creative idea that dramatized or demonstrated mm. that that benefit. OK, and yeah. that was 
the hard bit. You know, that's what usually is awarded at creative award shows. Okay, and it's hard for two things. It's hard to come up with that idea. It's then almost as hard for the suits to go and sell that idea to unimaginative or, or risk-averse clients. So there's two elements of difficulty in there, in, in conventional award-winning advertising. Let's talk about uh, the data as well, because um, a study... I did 18 months. Actually, I'll give you the background to this because it's, it's quite interesting. One of our clients is, is Audi and uh, they've done one of the most successful campaigns that we've trapped on the System One database with Kevin the Carrot over the last four years. Yes. And if, in, in fact, they've gone from what was a good uh, scoring campaign, sort of high three star in our five star scale, up to the best performing campaign wow. of, of last year. It's been quite astonishing. And it's interesting, actually, because in, 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 in late uh, 2019, um, Audi Kevin the Carrot campaign got campaigns Turkey of the Week. Mm. And, uh, and, 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 and basically the write-up was effectively saying it's time to retire Kevin. He's over, you know, he's over-served his purpose and uh, you need to move on to something new. Uh, which is almost the antithesis of our recommendations to System One, which is you need to put successful ideas build up over time. Mm. Fluent devices like Kevin become more familiar and recognizable. And actually, although it might be seen as a bit nostalgic and sort of uh, cheesy, it's actually connecting with the, yeah. you know with, with the population. So um, I actually got a, a, a someone a, a contact of mine, Matt Bamford Bowles, emailed me incensed about this write up. He just said, "John, this is outrageous." He said, "Can you give me?" the Kevin the Carrot scores, which I did. And it was yeah. a five-star ad, right? So I, yeah. I said, yeah, of course. So he put a post out on LinkedIn basically going, what's going on when, you know, what we are criticizing um, is actually some of the most effective work. Well, that got me thinking. In fact, he then contacted me again and said, hey, listen, John, what if I ran all the Turkey of the Week through your database? Now, it turned out we had 26 of the campaign ads from that year, uh, Turkey ads of the year out of, I think there were 48 that ran in total. So just over half we had on our database. And here's, here, here's, the, here's the shocking conclusion, you see. So we, um, so we benchmarked uh, the, the, the total against the whole database. Yeah. And this is what happened, right? So the average, so let me tell you the, let me tell you the scores, right? So on our database, uh, one star advertising means it has no impact at all. So on our database of 50,000 ads in total, 54% get one star. So basically the old thing of half my advertising is wasted, just don't know which half is Bob on, right? Because mm -hmm. about half the advertising. In our database, only 4% of ads ever get to four and five star. Now four and five star ads are ones that significantly impact on market share. You know, we're talking two, 3% share of market change. So very, yeah. very, over the next 12 months have a big impact on that business's market share. Here's how turkeys did. 23% were one star. So that's half. So half of them, you know, that's half the amount were actually not working that were working. 35% were four and five star. So one in three, which is almost 10 times, you know, 10 times the amount mm. on our database getting four and five star. So quite weirdly, the inverse was true that getting a turkey was actually yeah. a very good predictor. Anyway, here's the kicker, right? I compared it to can lions and yeah. turkeys beat can lion winners. <laughs> So uh -huh. now I should say, in, 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 you know, in the, to be fair, and again, in the spirit of balance as well, yeah. um, can line winners aren't that bad, right? So 33% uh, of can line winners that we've ever tested are one star, 18% are four and five stars. So can line winners do outperform our database. Yeah. But Turkey of the week outperforms oh. lions, which was shocking. Absolutely shocking. I mean, I, I was gobbled. I was expecting it to beat the database. I wasn't expecting it to beat can lions. But that, that, I think, tells you something, doesn't it, about where our heads are at as an industry in terms of what we you know, ridicule on the one hand and what we celebrate on the other and where our priorities lie. But I thought the data was fascinating. I think it's, uh, it, it reinforces what the IPA found in uh, Peter Field, I think, wrote in 2019, that creatively effective campaigns, uh, create, creative, creatively awarded campaigns and now less effective than they have been in the entire 24-year run of data, and are now no more effective than non-award-winning campaigns. And it was upon the basis of that that the IPA declared a crisis of creative effectiveness in the industry. Um, do, you so, think, do you think? Do you think we've changed our lens? I mean, my my hypothesis. I want to see what you think. My hypothesis is: I think 
certainly when I was earlier in my career, celebrated campaigns were the long running ones. They, they typically were the ones that became famous, you know, famous, you know, should have gone to spec savers or, you know, yeah. you when you're hungry. They, they, they were the ones that we all sort of would talk about in the playground or at, at, at the coffee machine sort of thing and became in popular culture and were ran for many, many years. It feels like the ones that are awarded now are more tactical, they often digital, often what we call quote unquote viral, they're more activation rather than campaign. Do you think that's a good reading of it or what's your sense of? Well, I think, I mean, that's what the IPA is found, that the the enemy of effectiveness, as far as they're concerned, is the short-termism of the client, of the CMOs and of the agencies who are working for them, that they are looking for quick fixes. But um, Peter Field, I think it was, he wrote to me and he said that people who are involved in in, in, in short-term sales activation actually regard long-term brand building as dishonest. He said they regard it as part of the corrupt aspect of advertising that they don't want anything to do with. And I do honestly think that agencies and the people who work in them no longer believe in the in the in advertising's role as the driver of demand generation you know kind of i don't think that there are there is a you know there's a commitment at the heart of of our creative advertising agencies to 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 see their purpose as, as as a commercial purpose and see their purpose as building strong brands and building long-term demand for those brands and building short and you know kind of the whole you know, kind of full funnel advertising is something that I don't think animates, excites uh, the people who work in the big brands anymore. I think it's because social media is so immediate and you get feedback straight away. Mm. And because on with digital advertising, you, you know, you get your metrics immediately. That immediacy of feedback and data, I think, has also... It meant that we are prioritizing what can be measured quickly and easily over what is hard to measure, let's be honest, over yeah. a long period of time. So I think intellectually we know that long-term success is about brand building and, and, and equity, mm. but we're, we're, te- we're tempted by the drug of quick feedback, immediate response. I can see the results in my dashboard tomorrow. And, and when, you know, when the tenure of the CMO is getting shorter, we're after the next quarterly results or promotion in the next financial year. We, we are, I think, I think we're prioritizing that short-term, you know, the, over the long-term brand building. I think the CMO enjoys playing in the sandpit with the creatives. You know, um, as your friend Mark Ritson said on an earlier one of your podcasts, uh, there's a our industry is characterized by a lack of accountability, the inability to track, measure, and evaluate. All of those hard work things that actually you've got to you've got to look 18 months in advance, you know, kind of, and you've got to adjust constantly and tinker with to have an objective that you that you seek to reach in 18 months' time is hard bloody work. You know, to have an objective that you seek to achieve in 10 days' time is good fun, you know, kind of and it's and it and it doesn't require any kind of rigor, does it, John? I, I, you're, you're spot on. I, I mean, I, I always think you, you, you've got to judge a CMO on year two, not on year one, because mm. year one is pretty much de- is delivering what the previous incumbent set up, right? Because, you know, I mean, planning cycles are at least six months, probably nine or 12. So, mm. so to judge somebody on what they do in the first six to 12 months is very naive. And yeah. so I think any good CEO will be will will know that and will allow the CMO to come in do a proper review you know get get real insight and data to you know to build, yeah. a, build a proper strategy and be able to then you know set direction and then start to judge them in year two arguably even in year three you might even go actually you should look at this over three years but they're not going to be there not going to be there in year three though are they John well, I know this is well. This and and herein lies the problem. So, what you have is you have this inbuilt mechanism where the CMO or you know is under pressure to do something quickly. Doing something quickly takes you to digital, social media, making a making creating a lot of noise and activation. Effectively, you know. Yeah. Now, of course, you you do have to do both. I mean, you know, no one lives in an ivory tower where you can kind of ignore, um, you know, ignore the short term results. But this is where it gets interesting because. We're not even talking. If we were talking about 
um, short term results, then yeah. I would be very sympathetic. But we're not even talking about results anymore, are we? We, you know, as you know, you're saying we're talking about is there purpose in my advertising rather than well, is there? Well, uh, well, even the ones who are looking at results are if they get to mark their own homework, which for the eighteen months they're in the job they do, then the results are measured in clicks, likes, and shares. You know, the, the results aren't measured in, in sales. There's a very smart guy, Benjamin Braun, um, who wrote a book called Build. He's Samsung, Build. isn't he? Yeah, Samsung, Samsung. Uh, he also, he also did compare the market and one of the best ads of the past decade, and that was the, the Audi sending the clowns at the BBH. And he said, we must recognise that this is the part of the marketer's own fault because we have failed to prove our worth. If you ask a marketing team how many products they sold after spending X amount on a campaign, the chances are they won't be able to tell you. Hmm. The majority of marketing teams at the moment would not be able to articulate their results in a way that would impress the chairman, the CEO or the CFO. Yeah, you're quite right. So they so they so they're marking their own homework, but then but the results of that is nothing they could present to the board and say, and this is why you pay me my, to do my job. I agree. Now I think I think this is where we come to it and we come to the essence of it. So, you know, I've 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 spent my career in that boardroom conversation where I'm presenting back the marketing plan for the next 12 months. And it is a very tough place to be. And a, a phrase I often often use is everyone's a brand manager, aren't they? Mm. Everyone around the table has got a point of view. And I think this is where um, I, I think agencies need to wake up and realize that what they should be doing is supporting the CMO to have a, have a board conversation about the return on investment of the campaign and how it's going to impact on the bottom line, because that's how you buy your freedom. Yeah. That, that's yeah. where your freedom comes from. You can make the most crazy work you want so long yeah. as that you can demonstrate how that crazy work actually delivers profit and, yeah. and i think that is such an important thing and but so few agency pitches or creative pitches connect the work back to results and and that that i think is we're disconnecting you know the inputs from the outputs and and that's a you know that's a you know dangerous place to be really i think that this the I, I blame the agencies. I blame the 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 the, the networks, the Omnicoms, WPPs, but I also blame our industry's institutions. I you know I blame Campaign Drum Creative Review. I blame the Advertising Association. I blame the DNAD. You know, kind of that that we have got to a position whereby let me let me let me tell you this this guy posted something. Uh, in May, and he said, he said that, that it was lamenting the fact that agencies were now a hellhole to work in. Campaign had done an article about how terrible it was now to work in agencies. The morale was rock bottom. And one industry leader took to LinkedIn to complain that clients no longer appreciate the time and talent required to produce a quality product, nor do they realize that this costs money. They want it quick and cheap. So where once the public, this is a quote, so where once the public rather liked advertising and we liked working in the business, our consuming public now do pretty much anything to avoid it. And sadly, a lot of us are looking for a way to leave. Mm. This chap then went into campaign the following day and lamented what was once a powerful business tool that was capable of inserting itself into popular culture that people said they liked as much or more than the programs is now debased and devalued. How have we let this happen? And the person who wrote that is the chairman of DNAD. Mm. And he has let this happen on his watch. Over the past 10 years, in, in, rather than him and the, 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 the people at the Advertising Association, the people at Campaign, the people at Drum, rather than making talking about the efficacy of, of advertising and its value to the bottom line of our clients, he could, they could have saved our industry, but they have been too intent on saving the world. They've been, in, in, they've totally neglected advertising's commercial purpose in order to emphasize advertising's social purpose. And I lay the blame at their door. Okay. Uh I had a lovely quote from Laurie Meekin, actually. I was chatting to her before this. Uh, I took about a bit of diversity work we're doing together. And, and she, she was just laughing about how, you know, 
we, we all want to create an advert with a side order of world peace. You know? yeah. But yeah. actually, she, she made a lovely point, which I, I really agree with. I think, Steve, that, that there's a balance to your, because look, I think what your book amazingly yeah. does is give, give you know, give um, Adland both barrels, which I think it's well overdue. Um, mm. But 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 also, I think that but there is obviously good in social purpose, isn't there? Of course. Yeah. And, 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 you know, that there is a time to do it. And I think what she was saying, which I really <laughs> liked is if you're going to do it, at least do it authentically and where yeah. it's integral to what you are as a brand. And if I think of some of the, you know, if, if you know, some of the best work I've been involved in, for example, on Lucas Abe, we, we have made to move where our mission was given that we, you know, we've got obesity at record levels. Our mission was to, um, you know, we're all made to move as human beings and we're here to help, right? So our mission was to, in, in this case, get a million more people moving and exercising. But what was neat about it is, of course, obviously we would benefit from that because the more people move, the more they need to re recover and the more yeah. they sport they're going to drink. Or, or Guinness, actually, I th I, there's a, you know, System One out of the Week this week, actually, is Guinness. Um, and they are donating to help pubs open again, having been locked up for the last 12 months. Now, of course, who benefits from the pubs opening? Guinness benefit right so um or, or even Brewdog I mean crikey Brewdog have been in the news for the completely the wrong reason the last couple of yeah. weeks I mean that's a whole podcast on its own but but again Brewdog you know uh, being audacious as they always are want to make the planet sustainable and want to be the planet's first fully sustainable beer you know or in fact carbon negative sort of thing so I, I suppose as I look at it there are great examples of where you, you know, social purpose embedded into the DNA of the brand and is also commercially the right thing to do, right? Yeah. So, so what, help me understand, you know, where does it go wrong? What, what, where, where does it come detached from commercial purpose? I guess is my question. So where, do you know what I'm saying? Where, where is it? Sure, sure. Where I, does I it go wrong then in your, in your view? I have no, I mean, I, I, I am, I, I, you know, kind of, I, I think that corporate social responsibility and environmental and social uh, governance is should be at the core of all good businesses. You know, yeah. kind of, I'm with Paul Feldwick. Paul Feldwick, he says that uh, any company's social responsibility begins with pay your taxes, treat your employees well, treat your suppliers well, treat your customers well, respect the environment, and if you still have some profits left over, invest in those points. You know, kind of, and it's it's the. I would imagine that if you brought a, you know, kind of one of the the founding fathers of Quaker businesses back to get, you know, kind of to, to them and podcasting with them, they'd say exactly those five points. Yeah. You know, kind of. So there's absolutely it should be, I think, at the core of any well organized, well well run business. But I don't think that social purpose translates into marketing strategy every time. You know, kind of that it's it's another one of those things. Advertising periodically comes up with a new bottle of snake oil or a new magic bullet. And amazingly enough, it, it's applicable to pretty much every brand going. You know, kind of when it, you know, kind of like it's a, it's applicable to your brand, it's applicable yeah. to your brand, it's applicable yeah. to your brand. And of course it isn't, it never is. It's applicable to five percent of the possible brands out there. It might be to 10%, you know, kind of like, but no, advertising blanket coverage of yes, now we found it. This is it, this is a new thing, and this is what I object to. You know, kind of, uh, I object oh, to it it being a, 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 a simple, lazy solution to the complexities of marketing. That's what I object to. That's spot on. I love that. That's absolutely spot on. Uh, yeah, so I think the, authentic, the authenticity point, I think, is, is very real for me. And that point of it's not, it's not marketing strategy. I mean, the one, the one that I always talk about, which uh, drives me insane, is Gillette. You know, when they did that yeah. terrible ad a couple of years ago, um, you know, commenting on toxic masculinity. And it's like, well, I thought that was hilarious for a number of reasons. But, you know, talk about, you know, trying to take a stand on a you know topic, you know, the, on the Me Too movement, but actually doing it in such a way as to criticize your entire audience. I just thought yeah. it was just the that was that was just a ridiculous example of where that's kind of gone wrong and they paid the price, you know, I mean, you yeah. can't put the share price or the impact on the, you know, the bottom line entirely on, on the ad shoulders, but it was interesting that the brand value was written down by $8 billion 
in the few months after that campaign went live. Now, I know, you know, uh, people be screaming at me listening to this going, yeah, but of course you can't put it all on the on that. You know, the category was declining. Competitors were, you know, were right. Yeah. But if you looked at the YouTube, the number of comments that that elicited, negative comments from men. And in yeah. fact, I, I very recently put it through the test and one system because I was quite intrigued because it, it did OK on system one. And I thought, uh, this doesn't feel right because I, I certainly look at it and go, well, that was nonsense, wasn't it? And um, I ended, I, I retested the other day and I, 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 I did it. Uh, I just did men. So I just tested mm. it with men and it's one star. And basically mm. there's a whole lot of hate for it, you know, for obvious reasons, because, you know, they were openly criticizing, you know, criticizing oh. the very people that, that buy their razors. And, I, you know, it's the old it David Ogilvy quote. What's the David Ogilvy quote about? You know the wife. You know your the consumer isn't a moron. Isn't a moron. She's your wife. Something. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Just, so what point have we disconnected from our? You know the very audience that we serve. Like, how did that happen? Again, I think that we are um, disconnected from the audience. I mean, you know, you know the statistics on what our industry is like, don't you? Do you, do you want me to rehearse them for you? For the, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, you know, kind of. Feel eight, free. 84% of the agency workforce are aged 18 to 40. 88% have got a degree or an MA. 70% grew up in a household where the chief income earner was social grade AB versus 29% modern mainstream. Only 17% of people in our industry come from a C2D background versus 40% of the UK population. 13% come from a BAME background, but crucially 69% of those with a BAME background were privately educated. As opposed, Ooh, okay. as opposed, yeah. as yeah. opposed to seven percent nationally, you right. know, kind of. Yeah. So we are, we live in a metropolitan London centric. I mean, you, you, I'll give you the figures on our London, on how uh, how London centric we are. Um, uh, we we live in a, in a in a bubble. I mean, everything that I'm, dear old Andrew Tenzani and Murray have said indicate that you would need a very strong bloody telescope to see the bubble, the Adlam's bubble, circling the real world. You know, kind of, um, and we, we're talking to ourselves, we're creating ads for ourselves. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's why I think, I, I think that we, it is a bubble, it is, you know, kind of, we are different, we are socio-economically and socially economically different, we are politically more progressively left-wing than the twice as, 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 as likely to be twice so than the, than the mainstream. But what surprised me, I think, isn't, it isn't, I, I thought that I, I'd get, you know, kind of savaged by the industry. Um, when the when when the when the book came out in August, but I was I was amazed at the dog that didn't bark, and it certainly didn't bite, you know. And I've come to the conclusion I made one big mistake, and that the industry itself, even the London, certainly not in the regions. My God, the regions are not enthralled to social purpose. They're too busy working for entrepreneurial clients, having to justify every every hour they spend on the business. But I but I didn't, you know, kind of. I've realized that the main, the majority of people in the industry are, I think, tired of the politicization of the workplace. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, it's, know. It's, it's, it's fair to say, Stephen, to anyone who's not read your book, and I, I recommend you do, you, you don't pull your punches. I mean, you, you, you give it both barrels. I mean, I mean, the quote at the beginning, I thought was just, was, was very, very powerful, but you know, so you don't, you don't pull your punches at all, which is great. Cause I, I think it's, you know, it, it it's, you need to do that to provoke the conversation, really. Yeah. What it did impress upon me is that the social purpose agenda is being pushed by a very small clique of careerists and activists. Mm. And I think you had a similar experience with this we may want to discuss. And that is that I, once I'd written a book, I put, I'd start posting on LinkedIn and I could see, you can see, as you know, from the dashboard, yeah. who's reading. You know, and so all the big creative agencies were reading, reading the book, you know, kind of all of them. Um, but not one of them. I can't remember. Maybe a handful in the six, seven, eight posts that I did and the thousands of people who were looking at the stuff. Maybe I got 10 likes from people really? who work in London's big creative agencies. 
Ooh, I didn't get. Okay. I got one. Okay. I got one uh, um, opposition view. God bless yeah. him. It was the chap who did Viva La Vulva, and he was totally entitled to his two yeah. pennies after what I'd said about his his <laughs> work. Um, but no, nobody. I don't think anyone from the industries opposed uh, proposed an opposition view, but which was you know kind of telling. But no one came out and said they liked it. You know, there were no likes from the big agencies. And I think you know. I think that I think that's interesting. I mean, I mean, we were talking off air, weren't we? But 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 let me let me say this as well for, for the sake of people listening. Um, something else I found interesting, and another reason for, for you and I have this chat was the launch recently of GB News, which I mm. thought was really really interesting. Now, I would describe my politics as uh, left of GB News and right of the Guardian, which probably puts me in that crazy middle ground <laughs> that we're not supposed to <laughs> occupy anymore. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm probably, you know, a typical kind of middle ground centrist in terms yeah. of my politics kind of thing. So, um, you know, I might have voted for Tony Blair and I might have voted for David Cameron sort of thing, which, you know, um, yeah. you know, there you go. Um, but, but what's interesting is, you know, I, I was watching with interest the launch of GB News and what they were trying to do. And, you know, they had a clear, clear mission, which was to present uh, voices that weren't heard. Yeah. Uh, which was to, particularly regional. Actually, they were very, very uh, determined to bring stories out, you know, from other parts of the country. And, um, you know, you know, they're probably right leaning, I'd say. But they, they've certainly got some ex-Labour MPs, yeah. uh, you know, working for them. They've got, you know, lots of uh, ethnic minorities represented, which is really good. Really, really yeah. good, of course. Um, and but what was interesting about it was. Within 24 hours of going on air, 14 multinational brands had pulled their advertising in response to a pressure group called Stop Funding Hate, which is a, a kind of left wing pressure yeah. group trying to kind of force advertisers to, to remove advertising from sites or that they deem mm -hmm. as being hateful. Now, of course, mm -hmm. definition of hate, you can, you know, too. But what I thought was interesting about it was that these big brands caved in or, you know, caved into it. Uh, almost immediately, 14 yeah. brands pulling their advertising, which is astonishing. Anyway, it, 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 I found it fascinating because not one of those advertisers would have watched the programming. I mean, the, the news channel had just aired. It hadn't received any complaints. It's obviously governed by Ofcom. It's a British news channel, which, you know, we're, we're fairly good as Brits, aren't we? You know, we're, we're famous in the world for, you know, doing things with balance and, and reason and so on. Um, Anyway, so I put a poll up on LinkedIn. I thought, well, this sounds this sounds an interesting one to ask the nation. So uh, the poll was simply, were advertisers right to boycott GB News? Um, got 130 uh, entrants in the poll, which is good. Uh, so statistically, a good number. Interestingly, the results were this. 37% said yes, they were right to pull. 63% said no. So on the one hand, I thought, well, look, uh, okay, I think that's good because uh, as an advocate of free speech and as yeah. balanced journalism, and I think it's good to have opinions and it's good to be able to represent everybody. That would be my yeah. point of view. I thought, good, right? That's still 30, almost four in 10 people thought it was right for advertisers to pull advertising from a right-leaning news channel that hadn't yet even established its voice. So that's interesting. The, here's where the data get, here's the thing I thought was very interesting about the data. And this rings true with your story, right? So 12,000 people saw the post, which would be one of my more read posts, um, mm. which is, so it did very well from that point of view. 37 comments, so it was highly engaged comments. And the comments split broadly between people going, so, so half the people were saying, this is complete nonsense. Why on earth would you, you know, boycott a news channel? Yeah. And then the other half were going, well, it's a free, it's a free press. You can advertise where you want, you know, and yeah. if, if your values are different to that channel, then fair play, which I understand, except for the fact that who knows what their values are because they've not even aired them yet. Right. <laughs> so how are you making that judgment call before you, you're, you're judging it based on what you've heard about them from a, a left leaning you know, political organization. But anyway, this is the point I want to get to. So what I found fascinating, so 12,000 people viewed it, five likes. Mm. It's, the, it's the least liked post I've ever done yeah. in terms of number of likes. 0.4 likes per thousand. Now, if you compare that to Turkey's, my Turkey's versus Lions bit of data I shared earlier, that had 17 likes per thousand. So mm. that had 50 times the number of likes per, you know, per thousand people viewing. Yeah. So there's something odd, right? People didn't want to click the like button on that post. They're happy to comment. They're mm. happy to vote. 
they didn't want to like. So mm. I just wonder what 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 is it about? Are, are we not? And in, in this case, I'm not even advocating for GB News. I'm not even yeah. advocating for their political position. I mean, it's got yeah. Andrew Neil on. It's got Alistair Stewart. I mean, these are household name people that I've grown up with. You know, yeah. they, they they were the you know they were the great. Uh, journalists of, of the time when I was growing up, so I think you see these are very respectable people. I'm not even I'm not commenting on their their points of view or their politics. Mm. So I'm just asking a simple question, but it it struck me how few people liked it. So can, what, can I point out the obvious in this? I'm yeah, just, go on, mate. Because they've already voted on the poll. Is that right? Yeah. Well, if they vote on the poll, they're not going to then do like a, a secondary action on it. No, no, they, they is like... That what, is that what it is? That's interesting. Well, if, if, if you scroll through a post, you've yeah. done your click, you then go and like or comment on it. Like, think of the amount of people that actually engage with that. 37 people commented on it, right? Yeah. So they're, they're obviously engaged enough to comment, but they're not going to like the post. It's, I mean, so do you think it's a social media dynamic rather than a, 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 they're afraid to be associated with what's been said in it? Yeah, I, I, I do in some That's interesting. But I, I do see yeah. what you mean. I wonder if, like, if you compared that against another poll you did, for instance, and then it might... Mm. I just don't want people to listen and go, oh, come on, John, it's just because they've already... already yeah, 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 yeah. The poll, not because... Uh, that, that's interesting. See, if it's a dynamic of... Because the poll pops up, you, you answer the poll, and yeah, that's effectively you, you engaging with the post. Unless so therefore, you make a point. You would have to. You would have to then go out of your way then to go right. I'm now going to go back into the post and like it. Yeah. No, I di I disagree. I think people would like the idea that you have raised the issue and given them the opportunity to have a voice. And I think that and that was the point of the poll. That was the point point of the post that you had actually you'd actually identified an issue that the, that was very important to the advertising industry that hitherto for no one had given them the opportunity to to voice an opinion upon and you were allowing them to do that and i think that they would have i think that's what they would have liked if they were going to say i like this but i think i agree with you i i think that when if you get into anything like politics then you are then then people keep their head down. The thing that I regret most about this latest edition of my book is that I've tried to be extremely assiduous about quoting all of my sources. You know, you'll know there are 60 pages of notes at the back of the book. And I quote, I try and quote, uh, attribute every quote that I that I that I use. And in this section of the book, I've had to leave a lot of them anonymous because I've been asked. Please don't quote me. Please don't mention me in the book. I've had to email people on their personal email addresses because they're afraid that if their emails are found on their agency addresses, someone will find them and punish them. There is an element, there is, I spoke to the global head of one of the networks who said that if he could get out tomorrow, he would. Right, because the job of the CEO now, because of the politicization of the workplace, is simply simply the management of the optics and the politics of the organization. And it's not about running the business anymore. Well, this is what I was wondering about the GB News post, because yeah. um, I, so you, you you could go, look, look, let's keep politics out of business. But the point is, by, boycotting, there, by, by boycotting GB News, we have put politics yeah. right, right in the business. What we're saying, this is why I want to say, for, this is what I'm trying, sorry, I'm trying to get my thought process clear. This is the marketing point that I wanted to make was that obviously if you're running a big brand that appeals to lots of people, you should care about your audience. Are you really going to respond to it? So are you going to respond to a Twitter campaign by a left-wing group and they're going to tell yeah. you they're yeah. going to tell you how to spend your media and you and you're not going to therefore advertise to a big percentage of the population who who happen to watch a slightly right leaning news channel where does that end does that mean you don't advertise in a program that has politicians in it that you don't like or uh, points of view you don't like i mean th so that's what i'm calling out really is that um i think it's a thin end of the wedge if what's going to happen is pressure groups on social media are going to force brands to have to decide where they put their advertising and surely that that's a step yeah, I, I mean i don't i don't yeah i mean i don't know i don't know the the, the market profile of the average nivea user but i imagine <laughs> that it isn't it isn't uh, an under 40 year old progressive left-leaning 
firebrand, you know, kind of. Uh, uh, but 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 is well, I, well I, I I mean Nivea is my moisture. I use Nivea every day, right? And so when I saw Nivea counseling GB News, I'm like, really? Is my moisturizer deciding it doesn't want to advertise to people? I mean, now I'm not saying actually. By the way, I I, I watched a bit of GB News only because I was quite fascinated by the story actually, and and I haven't I haven't watched it necessarily mm. since. But I'm not against having a news channel that offers a different point of view and and wants to do what he wants to do. But I just thought it's interesting, a Nivea signaling, it doesn't associate with people that watch that program. I just think that's a fascinating, just from a marketing strategy point of view, yeah. it's a fascinating position to be in where you're then starting to make a political decision on your audience and who but, you want to see. But our organizations, our businesses are run by people who are now scared, scared for their jobs because of the politicization. Right. And the decisions are being made by by, as I say, activists who who feel that they can actually give voice to their to their to their radicalism and their extremism. And no one will stand up to them. You know, kind of. And, and I honestly do think that people who are running the businesses, not just advertising business, but businesses in general are running scared, you know, kind of. And the activists are willing to set the agenda. We've got we I, it, I I you know kind of you know I'm uh, that, that a focus of my my, of my uh, research has been about DNAD, but you get Naresh Ramchandani who was introduced as the new president of the DNAD by Tim Lindsay who says Naresh is a strong believer in making the right ethical choices for our industry. Oh, thanks, Naresh. You know I can't ever remember anyone inviting you to make the right ethical choices for the industry you know kind of um and i don't remember that being the dnad's remit to be to be even to be twiddling around with the industry's moral compass okay but then naresh is quite clear he says that brands need to be politically minded that's naresh's view they need to be politically minded and it's pretty clear from reading what else he says, which end of the political spectrum Naresh expects them to occupy. Yeah. Okay, and then Tim, yeah, that, can I, for his please, part, yeah. Tim now defines good work as producing better outcomes, not merely commercially, but also socially, culturally, politically, environmentally, right? So that, that is now the criteria for what a good piece of work is. It's not just whether it worked, it's whether it has the outcomes that Tim actually thinks are the correct outcomes on a social, cultural, political, and environmental basis. Yeah. So, the, so as I say, we are our leaders are scared to 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 put their heads up above the parapet, and the activists are running our industry. Now, I think I want to come back to the point I was making earlier when we talk about social purposes. Obviously. And I think this does need to be stated. Obviously, it's advertisers have a role in society. They, uh, you know, ha have a contribution to make. And therefore, it's good, isn't it, of course, yeah. that we are doing the right things, that we're being responsible, the way that we spend our money, we're, you know, employing people in the right kind of way. Yeah. You know, we're promoting the right causes. We are being sustainable in the way we think about the environment. Uh, we are helping change society in positive ways, right? So there's, there's nothing in, in all those things you talk about, there's nothing wrong in and of themselves, is there? Obviously, and, and why wouldn't we want to play our part as good, honest advertisers, right? So the, so what I'm trying to get to is the it, it's where it becomes disentangled from the purpose of selling more, right? It, it, from, yeah. from commercial purpose, that's where it comes unstuck. When the sole focus has switched away from the purpose of selling to the purpose of purpose, I suppose, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. That, 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 it it's, it's the disconnection between the two. Because like, like I talked about earlier, there are loads of good cases of brands that are doing good in the world, and that's what they're here to do, but they're also selling. They're also, you know, uh, commercially successful ventures. Yeah, my, um, I'll, I'll give, I think one of my favourite examples is Pampers, P&G's Pampers. And yeah. it was done... The idea was had probably 15 years ago, okay, by um, by Anthony Hopper, um, and he were, it was it's called One Pack and One Vaccine Initiative, and it's aimed at, at mothers, you know, kind of with newborn babies, and it's based on the on the pretty you know 
obvious insight that women who have just had babies themselves would have a fair degree of empathy for women who have had other women, you know, kind of they've joined a club, you know. Um, And so the whole idea was that if you buy a packet of Pampers, okay, then we will vaccinate a baby in the in the developing world. Mm-hmm. So, you know, can you buy a packet of Pampers and the baby gets to live? You know, kind of, and it's estimated that it's it's 750,000 newborn lives have been saved and 150 million women and their newborns have been protected from, you know, kind of deadly disease, you know, kind of maternal and newborn tetanus. And that's a great, it's a great piece of work, but 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 Simon Goodall, who worked on it, explained to me, said kind of it was it was driven by the commercial mm-hmm. requirements of Procter and Gamble, you know, kind of it's designed to add a tangible value to every single pack of nappies and help Pampers negotiate more merchandise in space with retailers like Tesco and Asda. Brilliant. And 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 that, that and everyone wins. It's a exactly. fabulous piece yeah, of work. Yeah. Uh, and that that's that's exact everyone wins i think that is a brilliant example i mean you know it's like the tom's shoe brand isn't it every time you buy a pair of their shoes yeah. someone who can't afford a pair of shoes gets a pair and, yeah. and you just think that that's brilliant because it raises awareness it says something about the brand it makes availability it proves availability because retailers want to do the right thing as well and therefore they'll stop that that brand which i think is brilliant and that, that that's really what i wanted to get to steve because obviously you know i think you call out the industry quite rightly for inauthentic yeah purpose and also for promoting it above profit i think and i think what i wanted to get to was that balance of well not it's not necessarily balance but but making the profit first because i know for me as a you know client side cmo most of my career that was always the thing that frustrated me is we forgot what we are here to do we forgot the primary reason we're here to do and the other thing i wanted to say as well is that um that that is a good thing right because you know what do we want right now post pandemic we want businesses thriving right we want demand being created we want new products hitting the market we want to employ more people we want to get people out working again we want to drive demands and then that has so you know that that is what's going to get us in fact ironically of course by doing that we can then get more people out of poverty we can then afford to you know spend more money on on good causes as a result of doing that kind of thing i mean i think that's that's what i'd love to see yeah i mean as you as you you know kind of you know my view that every time somebody buys something that you have advertised somebody gets paid and yeah. it isn't just the person in the shop yeah. who sold the thing. It's the person who made the thing that gets bought or the person who grew the thing, the person who developed the packaging for it, the, the guy who took it or the woman who took it to the warehouse, the person who drove it from the warehouse to the shop and the person who cleans the shop after closing time. They all get paid because of the thing, because the thing you advertised got bought by somebody. But also an important thing as far as environmental and social and governance factors are concerned and sustainability is concerned, I think that the message is getting through to most corporate businesses. You know, kind of they know that they have got to do things. They've got to hit their targets, the sustainability targets, okay? And they need money to do that. And I think advertising's chief role is to fuel, to feed the engine of sustainability you know because if those businesses aren't making money then all of for despite all of our laudable intentions then you know that they'll that on the quiet that's just that shortcuts will be made you know kind of uh, targets will be will be erased and reset and you need money to do this now advertising advertising itself and its virtuous intentions I think is is actually diverting us from our purpose of, of helping our clients hit their targets. That's our be, that's our key role. Okay. Now, now, now that that I think is brilliant. I, I think that's that 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 squares the circle of the phrases, isn't it? Because at the end, of, because the thing you know, if if advertising and agencies that create create advertising can make their clients successful, they can enable them to deliver. Yeah. big social purpose change yeah I, I ironically by by going after the sort of fake social purpose and detaching from the audience they're supposed to be selling to they might think they're doing good but actually they're undermining their ability to do the greater good they're, which is actually they're doing advertising that makes them yeah. feel good about themselves makes them feel good rather than yeah. actually bring they're advertising change. to yeah. themselves so you know we, we talk very positively there and uh, about 
how connect how purpose can be connected with profit and how actually if, if businesses deliver results you know we're, we're all better yeah. off um moving back to awards and the industry and so on what would you want what change would you want to see the the, the institutions as you described them earlier make to put this back on the agenda or to, or to balance with the the obsession with purpose what would you want to see change i think that i i i, I maybe it may be wishful thinking but I detect a slight change. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty critical of Campaign magazine in the book, as you probably detected. But, I, but in this month's edition, they're talking about Cannes. And the, and the, the article about, um, the, 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 about what will win at Cannes, predictions, for the, it says, but louding work that sets out to make the world a better place should not mean moving away from rewarding creatively fantastic advertising that delivers on commercial objectives. Campaign hopes that an ad like the breathtaking Guinness Surfer, which, which, which was said to have sold an extra Olympic swimming pool's worth of the black stuff every month, would still be a multi-award winner today as it was 20 years ago. So good old well, campaign. Brilliant. Campaign on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it, campaign. And I want that. I want that emphasis upon the value that advertising adds to the bottom line to be like Cato the Elder finished every speech in the Roman Senate with Carthago de Lundi est. Carthage must be destroyed until eventually Carthage was well and truly destroyed. That's yes. where the word carnage comes from, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, and I want, I want, I want Stephen Woodford. I want Tim Lindsay. I want, the, uh, I want Gideon at campaign. I want whoever runs the DMA. I don't know who it is. Um, I want the editor of Creative Review to to end every editorial with, and every speech they make with a message about this the the commercial value of of, of good ad, of creative advertising. That's what I want them to do. There's a, I think, with the, the, and they should get behind Julian Douglas, the new president of the IPA. Uh, Nigel, who, who, who was in the position be, before him, I thought did a wonderful job. He was the sole voice of reason, I think, last year during the epidemic when he said that advertising needs to help rebuild you know, kind of our economy. And nobody backed him up. No one backed him up. But Julian, Douglas has taken over and he's instituted the it's an accreditation scheme for effectiveness. And so you, you the, the agency has to submit um, it, its past campaigns and the results of those. And they get an IPA accreditation for the effectiveness of their work. And it will be, I hope, to effectiveness, what B Corps is to sustainability. So things there are things that can be done. And I think on the judging panels in awards, get the creative directors from Leeds and Edinburgh and Bristol on the awards, right? Get the, you know, know, I, don't I, keep fishing, don't keep bringing the same people from the same, with the same yeah. social background, with the same cultural obsessions, you know, kind of let's have a bit of cognitive diversity in the awards panels on the awards jury and pay what, what let's have someone from Leeds as the next president of the DNAD. Let's run um, let, let Narash bequeath his position to somebody and in the name of diversity, somebody who works for a small shop in Leeds. Well, I, do you know, I, I said to you earlier tonight that I, I've won some cans in my career. I, I was never actually invited to Cannes, which always um, wound me up something. What, you know, as the agency sent me photos from the promenade with the rosé, <laughs> you know, yeah. always, always wound me up as I was in a ball beating, getting another kicking for short. <laughs> and, um, but actually System One, bless them, John Kieran, who's, who's founder of System One, did invite me as, as a client of theirs, actually, a couple of years ago um, to go to go and be interviewed by uh, um, MSBN or whatever it was. Uh, CNBC rather and um and, and and actually I said to the reporter I said to, on the beach with my glass of rose but I said to the reporter look I tell you who's missing it's the client I said if you get who's actually paying for this right mm. behind at, what who's actually paying is the end client and I said there's no real voice of the client in here because no. that's that's who this work is being made for and we're forgetting that and I yeah. think you know so what I to add to your list by the way thank you that was a great list is I, I want to see some clients in there who can talk about the fundamental transformation their business 
has been on because of the campaign and talk to that. And it, it can include social purpose. And that's well and good. You know, yeah. actually, we are now a more responsible company doing these good things. Yeah. And the advertising has changed perception. That's uh, good. And the advertising funded about. that. Yes. Yeah. And the advertising funded it. We're now employing more people. Um, you know, in more distribution centers, we now got yeah. more shops if, if that's your business, you know, and, um, you know, we've added shareholder value and, and therefore advertising has become a central part of the reason for our business success. I'd love to see that. Absolutely. Yeah. Love to see it. Now, maybe, and, and again, I, you know, I, I've got plans on this, but, you know, if, if that doesn't happen, I'm going to set up the awards to do that. I, I'm going to make that happen because I want the people to speak. I want the, you know, people who commission advertising yeah. speak as well as the people that make the advertising and well that'd be a wonderful thing. i would give patrick collister a ring because he runs the capels awards which are a fine mix of creativity and effectiveness and maybe you should volunteer your services to be the next chairman of the jury there i think it would do oh, good. Right. or you or you and you could invite yeah. two other clients along to be the judges of that as well yeah. but i think the, the 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 industry needs more diversity it really does it does, it does yeah you're quite right you know right. um and it bangs on about diversity and inclusiveness but my god you know kind of it really uh, does no i re- I, I i thoroughly agree in fact i'm doing some work right right now with itv and deca actually it's really it's really enlightening as well and actually the thing one of the encouraging things so this is um, I'm not sure this episode goes out before we release the findings so I probably better not say too much but um, one of the encouraging things is actually um, when people see themselves in advertising um, it's not just the people that see themselves that feel better it's everybody feels better right yeah. so actually having more diversity in total is a good thing because you know as an industry we are I mean in fact we I remember speaking to Tesco about this and, and they said well in any 12-week period, 75% of the population will shop at Tesco, right? We yeah. represent everybody. If we yeah. don't represent everybody in advertising, then it's not good business sense, right? You know, yeah. and, and and anyway, so but that, that's that's for another that'll be for another podcast, but it's it's super important. Um listen, mate, I think that's a, an amazing place to end. Uh very, very energized by by that and, oh, and you. your vision. And and I think we need to go and disrupt industry. <laughs> Don't we? In, in a positive way and, and remind them of uh, what we're here to do yeah. as well as social purpose. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, yeah I, I, as I say, I'm encouraged. I think that I, what, what, what I am just afraid, again, this is something where our institutions are failing, and that is that they should call out the climate of fear that exists within the agencies. Yeah. They really do, really should. I think the institutions, you know, kind of thing, I think, you know, the reason why, one of the reasons why people, the campaign said that people don't like working in the industry anymore is I'm afraid that there is, is, as I've said, an element of fear and an insecurity about the place uh, by the majority of the people who work in agencies now. You know, and, and, and their bosses owe them, their bosses and our institutions owe these people protection and encouragement to, to feel free that they can speak freely and, you know, kind of uh, and venture opinions. Um, and at the moment, they don't they don't feel uh, they're able to. Well, listen, I mean, th- th- this is why I created this podcast. Right. And the, I, I, there was a reason I called it uncensored. I, in yeah. fact, I haven't I haven't yet it hasn't necessarily been as uncensored as it could be it probably will be but one of the reasons i'm grateful to you to come on is i believe passionately that you know people should be able to speak their mind and mm. it worries me i mean james might be right about my gb news article it, it's quite possible it's because it was a poll that yeah. people responded to that rather than like it but i i do get a sense and i think this is what you found as well is that people worry about what they say on social media because it might come back and might might yeah. it, because it's not the party line or it might come back yeah. and, and I think one of the most important things in society what unites us is our freedom to say what we think and what we feel and actually having a conversation is 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 what's going to make us stronger yeah. rather than you know avoiding a conversation or being too afraid to, to well I would recommend is. every agency do what Martin and I used to do at HTW once every two months we would we would have a, a suggestion the questions box in the agency um, and we would invite anonymous questions 
And Martin and I, God bless him, Martin Troughton and I would then get the agency together and we would empty the box onto a table. And it's the first time we'd seen any of them. And then we would read the questions out. We would answer them. Um, and we used to get a kicking every two months. Right. And people felt that they and I we did that because they need people need to be given the need to feel that their voices can be heard. And I would uh, I would advise I would dare any agency that's listening to this podcast, any agency leader to do that, um, because that that is empowering. I it to is, yeah. use that dreadful word, but that is empowering your people. Yeah, definitely good. Well, there you go. You've got the challenge from from Steve. There it is. Listen, mate. Thank you so much. It's been a real blast and a, My pleasure. a thoroughly enjoyable conversation. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening there to my conversation with Steve Harrison. As you can probably tell, he leaves absolutely nothing on the table. If you'd like to get a copy of his book and find out a bit more about him, his uh, book is available, Can't Sell, Won't Sell, is now on Amazon, new and revised. Uh, I will leave a copy of the link in the show notes, so do check that out. Um, if you'd like to follow me, I'm available on uh, Twitter at UncensoredCMO. You can find me on LinkedIn via John Evans. And I'd be very grateful as well if you'd leave me a review on Apple as well. All feedback is welcome. And if you've got any suggestions for future guests, um, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. And I look forward to you joining me next time.